So welcome to It's Not All About The Numbers, the leadership podcast that doesn't just focus on the bottom line. My name is Chris and that is Mike. Hi everyone. And our co-host this week is Rachel Harris, founder of Accountancy and StriveX Accountants. Hello, Hi. Rachel. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me, Chris. No problem. So to kick things off, how's the, the week been? Uh, so I think this week, to summarise, will be a week of weather and pod recruitment. Um, so it feels like I've been battling the weather all week, trying to get to different places. Um, a two and a half hour trip took me five hours um, the other day, getting back from London, which was fun. But I've been trying to get some different people to come on the pod uh, in the future. Um, so we talk about transforming and transformation. And that's all for me. That's all about communication. So I've got a couple of great communicators up my sleeve uh, with very, very different styles. So I'm not going to tell you who they are yet. And I'm not telling Chris who they are yet either. But uh, watch this space. Some interesting stuff there. Um, and then I suppose there's quite a lot going on. Um, so I've really enjoyed getting out with the dogs this week and i've been to a place called um cadbury castle in um somerset which is also known as camelot so allegedly it is uh king arthur's camelot and wandering around there and looking out around uh around somerset and dorset it's been uh pretty amazing so nothing to do with the chocolate then that's disappointing uh, no i mean every time i go there being a brummy right every time i go there i think of the chocolate but no this is a lovely segue because i haven't been eating chocolate this week i have continued my way to recharge my batteries uh, i've been continuing my exercise plan <laughs> which i'm very proud of yeah it's been on the back burner for quite a while because i've been very busy with lots of different stuff but i i actually joined the program and been getting lots of tips from my personal instructor I've got the Fitbit back on. I've got back onto Strava. So that is all going very well. And I actually feel like I've got time for it now because I don't know about you. I've always got to focus on it almost completely in uh, my personal life. Otherwise, I get distracted by the pub and wine and takeaways and all that sort of stuff. So I'm focused on it completely post the Gen CFO Academy and all of that good work. So the run up to Christmas is uh is going to be lean but then december i'm going to go for it oh, i'm just excited yeah excited for christmas i'll be slamming the toblerones um <laughs> yeah really good we had a really big milestone this week our business uh went over a million pounds for the first time which was which wow. is pretty pretty cool yeah i uh, had a couple of job offers accepted so that's taken us up to employees number 17 and 18 for the first time just yeah super exciting and then for recharging i have a couple of like non-negotiables that if i i've like learned over time that if i let them slip it leads to something not shiny and so dog walking is also on the agenda for me i've got a black lab called blue um so we go out for an hour every single day so walking the dog solid eight hours sleep is recharging the batteries and i feel like they're the non-glamorous ones but they're the ones that have become non-negotiables in my life because i actually understand the significance of I need to reflect yeah. if I'm not doing them on one day, what has led to that happening? Cause something's gone wrong. I, I do wonder again, what the algorithm is going to make of this podcast. Cause there's a lot of dog chat early on. So uh, I think we might be attracting some uh, dog listeners <laughs> somewhere along the line. But, but yeah, I listen to the podcast when I'm walking the dog, right? Like walking the dog is my podcast time. So it's capturing a beautiful market. Well, I was talking to somebody this morning, actually um, around what is work these days and because obviously there's so much information via podcasts and youtube and stuff like that and it can you can feel guilty actually spent taking the time out to 
out of like sitting at your desk at a computer to listen to a podcast but actually i think that that's a really important foundation for like good knowledge at work as well I if you talking, look at my cpd record i agree i remember talking to a few sort of senior leaders and they were always like oh i've got sort of to the point in my career where i've got ultimate flexibility and i can you know train whenever i want i can you know listen to podcasts whenever i want i can do that and that was all pre-pandemic now i think everybody's got that <laughs> you know it's it's not a case of being senior or not um it's just flexibility right and uh yeah i couldn't agree more i i use the dog walk for uh podcasts um for thinking time and uh yeah a little bit of exercise as uh going back to that point which uh is definitely needed in the argent house but um so looking at this week so I'm going to pick out, um, so I saw an article and it's more my world than, than the, the accounting finance world, which is there was an article on the BBC website about the new Google Pixel 8 phone. And it's, you might have seen the advert for it, the capability that it's got that you can take a photograph. And if you don't like the, the face somebody is pulling on it, if they're looking grumpy and you want them to look happy, if you've got lots of pictures of that person in your, in your Google photos, the, the clever AI algorithm will go in, find some smiles and then embed it really neatly into the photograph you've just taken, which is amazing technology. And it looks brilliant. And I can see as a thing that you, you look at as, as a selling point, it's fantastic. But it really illustrates a point that I've been trying to get across for years in the world that I work in, which is intellectual property and data and data management, which is basically, is the picture the same picture as that was originally taken? With that change on it, is it the same thing? Hmm. I think the answer's probably not. It is not. So, so then the next question is, who owns the picture? Because the way that the law works is that the person that presses the button for the, for a photograph owns the photograph but if the ai is changing it who then owns it go you're, you're so you're looking at it from a legal point of view I, i've actually had this conversation with a good mate of mine he's a creative director kind of linked to the bbc a little bit and i i came across um one of his presentations and he he was sort of highlighting the ai generated images that are out there and you know not not as straightforward as as the the ones that you're talking about but the ones where you know it's huge amount of processing and layering for weeks and weeks and weeks on end with lots of different images until you get what you want and there was actually a a, a fine art award won by a digital artist yeah which was really controversial and he turned around and was like to be honest like as an artist that's exactly what i do I just assimilate. I look at other people. I look at their references. I effectively then bring it into my own work and copy it, right? So there's almost like there's a legal point of view and then there's an ethical point of view. Talking to the person that I know in the industry, they're fine with AI creating these things, but it doesn't really answer the ownership part of things. You know, Rachel, do you do you ever use this technology? Are you kind of into that? So I have like quite an interesting perspective as a content creator in that images that look a bit AI, even if it, there's some sort of like filtering tool on there, just don't perform as well as organic content that you can tell is real. And so as a content creator, like there's huge amounts of like trial and error in, in what I do. 
whether it's video content, picture content, and actually filtered content in any way just does not perform in in the same way. And so I would actually choose to, like the example on the link that Mike shared was people smiling or not smiling in photos. And actually, I would much rather post a photo where one person is not smiling to signal to the user that it's not been artificially generated than post a photo where everybody is smiling because it almost looks fake but do you, are you saying that ai doesn't like itself then it sort of recognizes that there's an ai image and it's like no no no, i don't want that i want the real is it something in the algorithm or do you I think it's, it's how the algorithm engage or if it's it? humans engaging or not engaging with it that's then feeding the algorithm to reject ai content i think i think so i think what's interesting in in, in this is that it we're getting to the point where the technology now is it's very very difficult to tell the difference <laughs> Um, and, and that's the concern. And the link, the link to the, the data world that I work in is that I'm, I'm working on a project where people are ingesting data, correcting it and then republishing it. And I've made the point to them. So if you're correcting somebody else's data, you're effectively taking on or you're creating a new data product and then you're sharing that. Do you understand the liability implications of you doing that? And they're like, Oh, we hadn't even thought of it like that. It's like. And it, it, that, that, that picture was just a really, it's a really visual way of illustrating that when people are manipulating and handling data. So even in your Excel spreadsheet and you're getting your numbers from one bit of the business and, and then you, you're thinking, Oh, that can't be right. I'll just move that decimal point. What are you actually doing when you do that? You're taking ownership for that change, right? And I, it just, it, it was just a really nice illustration of that. It's, so it's not just legal ownership. It's also like personal ownership and liability and that, that. It, it, it's not the same thing as you were given. It, yeah. Fascinating, and it, it also, you know, highlights that the reg is way behind the the re- real life. Right? It's just like it can't keep up. Um, and I know that's been in a, in a lot of press and a lot of articles, but it's almost like things things are happening so fast that you know nobody's legal team, even you know Apple's legal team, can't keep up with everyone. It, it, it is. It is very interesting. And I suppose as a as a content producer, it's something that you have to keep in mind. Um, but mo- moving on, you know, you work in a startup, you founded this business, you know, you do a lot of content creation, as you just said, but there's definitely a <clears throat> a difference between small and biz- big business when it comes to kind of things like change and transformation, which is what Mike and I talk on and how we communicate stories. Yeah, 100%. So it's probably worth saying, So Chris and I actually know each other because we both sit on the board of directors of a multi-million pound charity that's uh, AAT, which is the governing body for accountants in the UK, 124,000 students across 105 countries. It's huge. And I feel like for me, one of the best bits that I've taken from sitting on such a huge board is the desire to maintain agility within my business at all costs to always improve the speed of decision-making, to keep core values, culture, and why at the center of everything that we do. And so I think for me, agility is the number one advantage that I have over any other accountancy practice that is bigger but than ours. Are you are you suggesting that enterprise might be a bit slower than startup? Oh, 100%, especially from my, like, we scaled up to a million pounds and actually my cap table is me and my husband. And so we definitely sit on the most extreme form of agile 
in the our board board meetings happen in bed quarters or shed quarters or on dog walks or when we're eating breakfast in the morning and that is the highest level of agility like last week over dinner at the board meeting me and chris were talking about hackathons that we do within our practice to make sure that our team are financially incentivized to if they can find a piece of tech or ai that can code faster than my nerdy nerdy accountant husband can actually the team get a cash prize and then we implement that into our practice and that gets signed off at the next board meeting and so that like desire for agility above anything else makes us hard to beat actually in terms of a grown growing and scaling practice i love that idea i love that idea and chris is your husband right there's another chris uh james 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 is your husband so it's like beating beating the boss's hubby i love yes oh my gosh yeah so me and james um are both like co-founders of the practice and james we are all really really competitive so when we hire people we are playing board games with them we play card games we play like exploding kittens to see how people react under like stressful situations and so if we can bring in like competitiveness into the business in any way we'll do it and so because of that james is always the one to beat. whether it's a card game computer game whatever it is james is the one to beat. and so hackathons are a way for us to incentivize the team financially bring in the competitive spirit stay after work and have some pizza and bring in new tech into the business in a way that actually for me as the founder i'm not having to appoint a cto to constantly be on the lookout for new ai my team are incentivized to do it for me so, Mike, what what do you think is is behind this, right? You know, we've worked in big and small businesses, and you know, we is it just the the decision making process is is longer? You know, there's more bureaucracy in there, or is it a different culture? What, what do you you know? Because I, I think we you can implement some of this stuff into l- large business, but but why is it harder? I, I, well, there's only a certain amount of cards in the exploding kittens deck. So as the business gets bigger, you can't all play. I think. Yeah. No, sorry, that's a facetious answer. Um, I, I th- well, like, firstly, I just want to say that like, your organisation sounds amazing. It sounds like a lot of fun, and that that's fantastic. Um, what, what when you were talking, what I was thinking about is corporate inertia and organisational inertia. And I think as a, as an organisation grows, you bring in more and more people, um, and and you're managing more and more risks as the company gets bigger and bigger. So actually you get decision making does become slower. The way thing processes work becomes slower. So actually it's, I think it is a function of size to some degree that, that it whilst you you can have your kind of skunk works bits in, in business that are, that are counter the, the organizational culture and, and do things like you've just described. Actually it, 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 it's very difficult to make the whole uh, a really big business work like that, and I think that that that's basically what it comes down to. It, small companies have that less inertia, are less resistant to change, are less resistant to doing things differently. Whereas big companies, you, you know, you've got an infrastructure; you'll have to have processes. The processes that are documented would need to change. So, just institutionally, it's more resistant. I've got I've got a hard stat for you here. Actually, it's, it's um. So again, it comes from, I think it's McKinsey, I have to double check, but it was basically saying that organizations under 100 employees see successful digital transformation. They would describe themselves as, as successfully digitally transformed two and a half times more than large enterprise. So let's round it up, say three times more. So it's, it's almost saying that small business, so don't go over 100 employees, Rachel, um, but you know, small business is three times as, as likely to be successful at transformation because 
of some of this behavior and, and competency and attitude, right, than, than large companies. Yeah, I definitely feel like there is somewhere very like meaningful halfway between the two. Um, so like for us, that looks like the reason we do those hackathons is to embrace AI and tech in a way that is incredibly exciting, but also ma- maximizes the amount of profit margin that we have to be human. So are we treating them as a person first and a client second? Are we implementing core values? Are we leaving this person better than we found them? If they're spending money on marketing and there's no trademark, are we mentioning that we can introduce them to an intellectual property specialist? Like for me, that the point in between is not just prioritizing profit driven come like the profit that's come from AI and actually finding somewhere really useful in between that maintains profit margins by utilizing AI and then adding value with that extra profit margin. The the actual, I've just looked it up. So it is actually McKinsey who produced this research and they're saying that the number one, the key factor between um, large and small business was that there was a clear change story for transformation. So and I think that that hackathon and that kind of discussion around beating the boss is actually a really clever way of bringing in a compelling story. And I really, I feel like, um, so we have like employee net promoter scores and employee engagement software running all of the time. Everybody has pulse surveys every seven days. And so one of the things that we are constantly looking at is delivering feedback in a way that aligns with core values. So every single manager and every single employee is taught to give feedback to other members of staff by tying it into a higher purpose higher mission so are you referencing a core value when you're giving somebody feedback because actually that should be the reason that you're giving feedback could you've done that better how can we more closely align this client's experience with the 10 out of 10 example that i would expect and so it not just coming from the founder, I think, as you grow can really help you to like maximize that and train your team to tie any bit of feedback, whether that's internal or external to higher purpose and where you're going. Uh, and that that's really interesting because what's going through my head as you're describing that is that what you've, what you've said, it sounds like what you've said is a really clear endpoint of what you want the business to be like. And, you know, that's your core, your core values and, 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 and that. And actually everything else that you're doing is pointing at that thing. And because everybody else in the business gets it, they're all pulling in the same direction. And it struck me that one of the differences between, and and, and, so it might not be a small business, big business thing, but it might actually be how clear is your endpoint thing Yeah. in a bigger organization. And and what you've described is also incremental steps. Yeah. So lots of little incremental things that are all pointing in that Mm -hmm. direction transformation for big organizations is usually a big project with big money so actually you've got a time frame that isn't organizational culture like 15 years that's where we want to be this is who we want to be like it's much more this is the change we want to see and want to implement it now so transformation itself fundamentally means something different in a big organization to to a small and that maybe that's something that's coming through in this conversation i think the other uh, you know i think the other thing is just we'd love to pick Rachel's company up and drop it into an enterprise and let it run alongside right some of these programs because you know you don't necessarily have to change everybody all the time you know if you have like a a pocket of transformation a pocket of best practice as an example and you can point to it then I think that's probably um you know a good good place to start uh because trying to boil the sea as we say you know is just never going to happen so you you sort of said about being a content producer 
and content creator. And there seems to be a bit of a debate as to whether, you know, this is professional communication or not, or whether it's seen as unprofessional. How could can you educate the masses on this? Because, you know, I, I see you across a lot of channels. What's your take on, on this being a professional way to communicate? So for me, I create long and short form content across YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, um, in video format, picture format and written format. And so I create content in nearly every single possible way that exists on the internet. At the moment, I have monetized my content that my personal brand is now worth more than six figures on top of the practice that's worth a million pounds. Our practice has scaled predominantly down to social media. In an industry where there is currently a recruitment crisis, I have 137 people on a waiting list waiting to join my firm. And all of that has come from storytelling, lowering barriers to entry, increasing financial education. The only lack of professionalism is, I guess, that it's not all on LinkedIn. Um, For me, that story and that sense of purpose comes from... I was a charity shop kid. I was a free school meal child. I was told by a careers advisor that I had too much personality to become an accountant. And my solution to a lot of that storytelling to make sure that there are no financial barriers to people accessing it is content. And it's my job to monetize it behind the scenes. So I land brand deals. I do speaking gigs. I do podcasts. Like my personal brand is monetized in nearly every single format through online courses and brand deals. But um, it's entirely professional. I do a really serious job. I don't take myself too seriously, but I'm not an unprofessional person. I've done TV appearances, radio appearances, and actually I've probably done far more for making financial education accessible than people who purely create content on LinkedIn. So by definition, it is professional, right? That sounds phenomenally professional. And re- yeah, it, it sounds amazing. I think the, the the thought that went through my head as you were talking is having worked in like again back in big organisations, the snob there's like a snobbery around old school comms yeah. and engagement, um, and what you're describing is there's a different way of doing it, and that way of doing it is no less professional. It's just different, and and that, yeah, it well, round of applause, fantastic. But even Absolutely. things like recruitment, right? Like the people that we are targeting with recruitment has changed. If I'm looking for a school leaver, if I'm looking for somebody to come in as an apprentice or even a career changer, those people are not on LinkedIn anymore. They've probably got a LinkedIn profile because someone's auntie told them to make one. But like fundamentally, that's not where they're consuming content. That's not where they're looking for jobs. Gen Zs, as an example, are far more purpose driven organizationally than they are over pay and benefits package. So we take our team on an all inclusive, all expenses paid holiday to Mallorca every year because we know that our target demographic crave experience over anything else. We pay them incredible salaries, 10% above what they could get anywhere else. But through doing all of these things, we are so targeted and intentional. And I'd say for me as a content creator, That's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that I get is that content is very like slapdash. You just walk around with your phone hanging out the car window at all times trying to make content. Like content is so intentional and any piece of content you've ever seen of mine online has been entirely intentional. And if you can't work out what I was trying to do with that bit of content, I've probably not released it yet. That's amazing. And it it pays for itself, right? Because, you know, you're 
you're clearly saving on recruitment costs if you have you know a, a lot of people who want to join because of the culture you know and obviously i use linkedin quite a lot and it's changing all the time but it's definitely not like the cv repository that it used to be it's um much more aligned to a social media platform now um and i think that goes along with this authentic leadership <clears throat> kind of trend as well you know people want to be seen whether you're a ceo or otherwise um they want to be seen you know authentically they want to be seen out you know having drinks having dinner you know also nailing the quarterly report so well, yeah, I, mean, I think that, 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 that kind of links back to what you were saying when we were talking about the picture you know the google pixel earlier it's the people Humans can sense inauthenticity in stuff immediately. Uh, it's more difficult with the photos now, but what you're just describing is exactly the same thing. LinkedIn used to be a repository of inauthentic nonsense, and it's becoming, it is becoming less that. It is becoming more more human. But I think what you're dis, you're, you're describing, Rachel, is that it's really elsewhere. It's not. It's not just in that place. Yeah, I guess it's just authenticity, like in yeah. all formats, right? That's Whether exactly. it's picture content, your tone of voice not just showing the shiny stuff like yeah. that is authenticity that is if I, if someone had this perfect perfectly curated linkedin profile and i had them versus someone who was actually building a personal brand through storytelling their authentic journey in finance i know which one i would rather pick yeah yeah absolutely interesting so let, let's let's move on so just um a quick request if you do want to get involved in the podcast then please send questions or your speaker requests to podcast at generationcfo.com. And um, this week, uh, we had a question on the community about Gen AI and about using Microsoft Pilot, uh, Copilot. But it was overruled for a much more interesting question, which is, um, what do you fear most, clowns or data? And so my answer is clowns with data. And that's the biggest the biggest problem is that, <laughs> that I see is that people people get and are in charge and use data all the time, but don't actually know what they don't know. Um so they are the clowns. And that that causes well, I suppose that's what keeps me in business, but it's also the the thing that um is the scariest. Rachel, I don't know how you follow that. Oh, clowns every time. Clowns are terrifying. <laughs> is, it, is this because you've watched too many films? Or... Too many scary films. I know where I stand yeah. with data. I can reconcile data. Yeah. Clowns, rogue. <laughs> yeah. Well, just for balance, I'm going to say data <clears throat> because, <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's something that's totally over uh, estimated. I think you know when it whether it comes with data management, data engineering use of data it's like everyone thinks it's pretty easy so and that, and that's just the route to failure as far as i'm concerned you know if you don't have a strategy you don't have a plan you don't really understand it very well then you know you're never going to get anywhere and there's a lot of people who talk about data um like you know it's it's you know data's the new oil you know that was the one a couple of years ago it's like yeah but you know what does that mean be really specific about your data and then you you know you won't fear it at all Anyway, that that was much better than my co-pilot question, so I'll I'll give you that. Um, thanks, thanks for vetoing me on that one. So, good data, bad data. Now we we actually struggle a lot with this, don't we, Mike, to find the good data? But uh, apparently, you have something. I found it really easy this week. Good data. Ah, so, uh, so 
Um, I mentioned right at the start that it's been a weather-filled week. And one of the things that I've been most impressed by this week has been the weather forecasts on my Apple phone and the new Apple app. It's it's almost, I don't know if you remember, Back to the Future 2, where it gets out of the car and it's raining. It says, oh, it'll stop in 15 seconds and the rain stops. It's it's almost like that now, the, the Apple weather app. So I was, I was in London and trying to get catch a tube and had to walk to the tube station and i waited until it said it was going to stop raining and it stopped raining and i was dry so yeah apple weather app there you go i have actually heard quite a lot of adverts being pushed to me is there has there been a new release recently because uh, they in, well this is this so this is how big companies what big companies work they ingested another app and chewed it up and added it to their own and made, that made their own much much better there was an app called dark sky yeah, there's some there's some great adverts out there at the moment, but uh, all, all a bit bleak though as well because it seems to be based around you know if you have a car crash, well don't worry they'll sense that and then they'll be able to send someone to you, which uh, I don't know why that uh, is that a core reason for buying a, a watch? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, even on the Apple Watch, my husband just got an Apple Watch. He's been very underwhelmed, very underwhelmed. Like he was told by a PT to get one, and yeah. Yeah, like it just has not been has not been blown away by yeah. it. Like I'm I'm all for uh smart watches and smart tech, but I th- but I actually I only have a Fitbit for that purpose because I only want to know that much and I also want to be able to turn my phone off. And so- I find those things, you know, that's that's my personal boundaries, right? Um so yeah, it's horses for courses. I was thinking that at the beginning when we were talking about, you know, normally you had to be this ultimate you had to be at a certain point in business or your career to have time where you could utilize in other things. But I now think it's the opposite. Like I'm at the point where I have to schedule time to just not do anything because I've crammed and crowbarred so much like data, whether it's I'm getting ready in the morning or I'm listening to brown noise while I'm trying to concentrate. Like actually I think it's going back the other way in that you have to get back to this elite status to actually be switched off from things and not be turned on all the time. So like I go and stay in like forest holidays where I intentionally don't have phone signal <laughs> because I feel like that's becoming the new elite is just the opposite of whatever anybody else is doing. But like having time where you're not doing anything, you're not consuming data, you're not like doing that. I feel like that's going to become the new cool. We've gone all the way back around to yeah. our amazing dog walks, right? So on the bad bad data side, um so yeah, uh, unfortunately, there has been uh, quite a lot of bad news in the press around. Let me just quickly check. Oops, I've lost my no. This is not good for podcasting. I've actually lost my note. So it's actually Boohoo. Um, it was Boohoo are facing um, a hundred million pound lawsuit because of allegations of modern slavery. And it's wiped off a billion pounds from the business value. So um, pretty, pretty amazing stuff in uh, these modern times. And uh, that is definitely bad data. By the way, I have a bit of a leaning towards retail because that's my background. So you'll see lots of things about that. Um, And uh, maybe next week I'll talk about Rick Astley being part of Sainsbury's Christmas ad because that's uh, that sounds like fun, Chris. uh, fun good data <clears throat> but anyway look i'll um i'll stop butchering the podcast and i will wrap things up so thank you rachel for being part of this it is great to see such a you know purpose-led kind of modern thinking leader and clearly that is equating into a successful business so 
Thank you for being part of that. Um, can, I, can I add the word? The, the, the stories that you gave, you know, the examples that you gave were inspirational in terms of the approach of you don't have to be dull, boring. And, you know, there's a, there's an inspiration in, in like exploding kittens as part of your recruitment. I love <laughs> it. So thank you for that. Thank you guys so much for having me. And uh, if you do want to be part of the podcast, as I say, then, you know, reach out to podcast at generationcfo.com. And um, we always have shout outs at this point in time. So last week, it was great to be able to talk about some charity work that um, some of our members were doing. Um, But whatever it is, then um, feel free to reach out to us there. So anyway, thanks again. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. And remember, it's not all about the numbers. Thank you.